Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Uh, we have an international episode today because we're covering an international story, which feels like it has become the only story in the world, which is, of course, is this global pandemic, uh, COVID-19, coronavirus. Uh, and because it's a global pandemic, because it's a global issue, we wanted to have as many guests on as we could from around the world. And technology allows us to do that while maintaining uh, appropriate social distance. Everybody's home alone. Everybody's working from home. Uh, so we set up our uh, Squadcast software and we're trying to get as many people as we can from around the world to weigh in. Uh, today we have Silvano Contonieri, who's calling us from Germany, an old friend of the show, uh, who's going to share a little bit of insight uh, from the European perspective. We're hoping that we'll have Shirley Avney in. She, uh, as many of our listeners know, is living in Mexico and has been there for some time. Uh, and, but, you know, once she comes in, we'll welcome her. And we're doing our best to try and coordinate what is our first international global podcast in quite some time. It's been a while. Uh, and I'm glad we're going global again. So uh, without, there's not much to bring people up to speed on. I know that everyone is obsessively following the news. So I'm, I'm not, I'm going to give kind of a limited background here because I do want to hear uh, from Silvano. Uh, and I'd like to share a little bit about what's going on in New York City, which is where I am. Yiming is in the Bay Area. She'll be chiming in. She She's been quarantined for quite some time and it's, it's starting to show. She's bored. She needs to get out of the house. She said, you used that word. You said you were bored, for lack of a better word. You're not alone, by the way. I'm not singling you out. Um, and then we'll hear from Shirley what she's got going on. But let's um, let's start with you, Silvano. Uh, this was your suggestion in, in many ways, kind of your brainchild, because um, we like to think of ourselves as an international podcast. This is a global issue. Uh, and you felt like there were specific issues in Germany that American audiences weren't aware of. So what's going on in your neck of the woods? Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if there's anything I know of that American audiences aren't aware of if they're paying attention. I mean, I don't. We're not. We're not. We're only paying attention <laughs> to ourselves. That's all Americans that's... are especially interested in what's going on in Germany. And I don't necessarily blame them for that. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I I don't know. I mean, um, I I mean, I get I guess you guys have been watching Europe loosely. Most most of the other countries around us, obviously Italy, but also like Spain, France, Austria, have um, have like locked down completely. You know, um, and they're you got like police controlling people. Germany hasn't done that quite yet. I think actually the states are. I mean, we we've got a good amount of cases by now. I mean, the last yeah. time I checked today, we had I think like thirteen thousand or something like that. Which is, I mean, Italy locked down around fifteen thousand. So, um, well, I, I think th what I do know and what American audiences will know, this is the biggest news that came out of Germany was that Angela Merkel predicted that up to two thirds of the population would eventually. <laughs> yeah, um, that's all news, bro. <laughs> well, but I'm saying that's what yeah, yeah. That, no, that's the, la the last thing that a general, I think, American audience has heard out of Germany. Fair enough. So I, I think some virologists in this country came out and were like, that's ridiculous, like maximum 40,000. You know what I mean? Two thirds. So to give you the, the perspective, two thirds of the population here would be like 52 million or something. That's like a that. lot of people. Yeah. It's not but wait, so is, has she been getting criticism domestically for saying that? Is that is there a conversation in the country about where she got this figure and why she said it? Nobody cares about Angela Merkel and what she's saying. To, they're worried about <laughs> 
You know, like there's the, 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 the discussion isn't so political about like, oh, who's handling this? People are talking about like, oh, uh, when do you think we're going to be locked in the house? You know, like we're basically just waiting for the announcement that that, um, that you don't get to go out and that we're going to be like controlled by the police when we do go out. And, you know, that's it. That's the long and the short of it. Well, um, where does it stand now? Because there are certain communities in the United States, you know, New York City, for instance, um, you know, restaurants are closed. Most businesses are closed. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, the, that's, that, that's been going on for quite some time. Everyone sure. who can work from home is working from home. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it varies from state to state. So Germany has 16 states. Um, I'm in Bavaria. I'm, I'm learning already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, man. I'm Thank in Bavaria, which is, the, um, which is the biggest and wealthiest state. Um, and I know, I know, I, I think the situation's a little bit worse here. On Monday, our, I don't know what he's actually called, but I, I'll say our governor um, did like an address to the state and he, uh, he did a catastrophen alarm, a catastrophe alarm. And um, I got to start like, using that. Which is, yeah. If you catastrophen say alarm. That sounds good, man. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, I don't know. It's like a, you know, I, I, I don't know, state of emergency or whatever, you know. And, um, and, you know, they limited restaurants to 30 people at a time. They shut down all, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, retail spaces and things like that that are, you know, basically businesses that aren't <clears throat> necessary, right? Like, like uh, car mechanic is obviously still operating. Um, uh, supermarkets are going to be open the whole time, no matter what happens. Restaurants are still allowed to operate, like I said, but they're like uh, limited to thirty people at a time. Thirty um, people, no matter how big the restaurant is. Yeah, that seemed kind of weird, bro. Yeah, because like the way they did it in New York before they closed restaurants outright was they asked restaurants uh, or required restaurants to only to cut their capacity in half, you know, because the fire department has to zone each restaurant for like, Oh, you know, uh, maximum capacity is 200. If your maximum capacity is 200, they had you cut it down to 100 because 30 seems arbitrary. What if it's like a pizza yeah. shop with two it tables? Is, it, is, it is arbitrary. Isn't it? It's what if it's like yeah. a little on the wall? Yeah. 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 Um, and I mean, to give you an example, like, like my, I, I work at a bike shop. Um, and so, we have like a sales floor, which has been closed. We're closed to the public, but our workshop is still open. We're still doing repairs. And my employers are obviously like scrambling to make money because they're like, great, we're probably going to be closed, like really closed, shut down, like everyone's stuck at home for maybe a month. And they still have to pay us. This is Germany. It's not, you know, like I have a contract and they have to pay me what uh, it states in my contract, if even if I'm stuck at home. And that's obviously, you know, like a, a lot of business can go under with. Uh, with are that. you going into work regularly? Are you still working in the work as day, okay. I'm working in the shop, but it's closed. And to, you know, if the doors were open and the cops drove by, they could put a big old fist up my boss's ass, you know? So they, um, they so have your boss is staying open, even though there are, are you saying if so, he so stayed open, if, if he stayed if open, he'd be in trouble. Yeah. So the workshop is working. The doors are closed, quote unquote closed, mm-hmm. but the customers are dropping the bikes off at the door and then we're delivering them. Okay. You know what I mean? So, yeah. which is like a sneaky little workaround. And then, you know, not everyone's doing that. He has to, you know, like there's a, we have to work with our hands. There's no way to work from home. So, um, you know, everyone else, everyone else who's got any type of office job is, 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 for the most part, but I mean, universities are shut down. Um, 
and nobody wants to take the risk. There's still a couple of people still working. Like there are public offices that are close to the public, but I know some people who are like, like a, a social worker and he goes in, his business is closed. He has to like show his ID to get in. They're like controlling it pretty, pretty well. But, um, but it hasn't I'm interested. Go ahead. It hasn't been, I, well, I'm particularly interested in what you said about like keeping your job and still getting paid because quote, this is Germany, which I guess I, I assume is an allusion to like some kind of social safety net that ensures that people are getting paid, even if they're not working, because that's obviously not happening here. A lot of people are losing their jobs. Um, a lot of places are going out of business and a lot of people are not getting paid. That's been a big part of the conversation here is that we don't have this um, social safety net, especially in the context of the gig economy, you know, people who are just like whatever, like working for Uber, like like places where demand has gone down a lot, people who are dependent on the gig economy, but don't have any protections in terms of getting paid when there isn't work are really in a bad position. But you're saying that's not the situation in Germany because of uh, what? Because of federal laws about ensuring that people get paid or what? Yeah, it's well, it's uh, we'll say it's a very different situation in Germany. I mean, the, the first biggest one that I think, you know, would be necessary to recognize is the what is health insurance. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if this is true, but I was speaking to my father about it. And he was like, this was like a week and a half ago. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, the the insurance companies have already come out and said they're not going to like be paying for shit. You know, they're like preemptively trying to like, you know, avoid liability. Um, in the United States, in the United States, in the United States, right. That's not yeah. something that uh, could or would ever happen over here. I mean, insurance, you know, if you're insured, they pay for you period. Like, yeah. Right. I mean, that's been a big part of the conversation here too, partly because uh, it's an election year and we're always talking about healthcare and the healthcare crisis in the United States. The most recent, um, Democratic debate was uh, between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, who have very different perspectives on uh, healthcare and what healthcare should look like in this country. And Bernie Sanders was using this crisis as an opportunity to talk about why it's important to have universal healthcare, similar to the system that you're describing in Germany, so that insurance companies can't refuse to cover certain conditions, particularly when you're in a crisis. Um, so it is a conversation here. Absolutely. And it's a big part of what they're trying to do in Washington now is ensure that people get treated different municipalities. New York City, for instance, I saw today um, has said that everyone will be treated, whether you're insured, whether you're a citizen, whether you're documented. OK, um, but that's New York City, you know, right. that's, uh, compared to the rest of the population in the country. That's a small amount of people. But I think those are the kind of things that municipalities are going to have to do to make sure that people get treated. Well, I mean, yeah. that, that, that is one of the big differences between the United States and a country like Germany is like these things are always handled on like the federal level, a country like Germany. And in the States, when it does happen, it comes out to the local level. You know, if, 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 if things like that are going to be, you know, it's going to vary drastically from city to city. Um, so uh, these types of securities are like across the board out here, for sure. I mean, for the most part, you still have people, you still have people who are not like a we're working under the table or something like that. And obviously that's, you know, but, but those people are probably going to be registered on one of like the social, the government support programs where they're still insured and they get like a, probably their rent paid and things like that, you know? So, um, are there but, states in Germany that are, or cities that are more affected than others? What do you mean? Oh, are there states or, or cities where there are more cases where the outbreak is more centralized. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Affected. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, surely. I th I'm, I'm pretty sure Bavaria's got it pretty bad in terms of like city by city. I don't know for sure. I know Frankfurt, you know, was one of the starting, like, well, not starting points, but had like 
a, a few cases early on, like had a had a handful of cases. But Frankfurt is like a big, big airport. Makes a lot of sense. And then, oh yeah, and then Munich. Munich was the other one, which is Bavaria. That's the capital of Bavaria. Um, and Munich say makes sense because that's like the that's like the the hub of like all Bavaria is the hub of like all of the major industry and well money that's made in Germany. And Munich is the capital, and you have like BMW and a bunch of huge auto companies down there. You're gonna have a lot of correspondence with China, you know. So it it started off kind of bad down there. Right. So what's it like on a street level? You know, like when you're going outside, does it look like a zombie movie, like it does in New York City, where you know I rode the subway the other day and it was empty at rush yeah. hour, which I've never I mean, seen before. You getting stuff like that? Well, first I want to answer your question. Yeah. I don't want to ignore that, which is that if you are like employed and out of your probationary period here, oh yeah, contract for a certain amount of money, um, your boss is obligated to pay you if they don't have work. For, if you're ready to work and they're not engaging you with work, they're still obligated to pay you. Yes, you know. Well, what if they don't have money? You know what and I mean? Like if, if it's course, and you'll get laid off. You know, but, oh. but they got to pay you. You know, and and maybe a boss that uh, laws don't force someone's hand completely. Maybe they don't pay you, but then theoretically there are legal avenues for you to follow that money's owed to you. You know, right? No, that yeah. makes sense. I thought you were saying that you know maybe people couldn't be laid off, or it was a lot harder to let people go if a business didn't have money, or no, like know. after after six weeks, like I mean, I'm pretty sure the amount of, there's amount of time. I think it's six weeks, but after the, the that period of time, you know. Obviously, they have to be able to let someone go. But there is like there's a security buffer. I believe it's six weeks. Um, yeah, but the street. I mean, they're not super. It, it's pretty empty. It's not crazy. You've got cars on the road, and like I went down to the river today. You know, there's still people out on the river. But the weather just got really nice, which is like the first nice days we've had in months now. And um, it was very few people for that. And you know, everything's closed. The beer gardens closed. The everything's closed. The bars are closed. The gym's closed. Um, there's nothing to do. The people who are out are just trying to get out. There's there's nothing going on. And then I walked through the the center, the city center at like, I think it was probably like eight thirty p.m. It was empty, you know. And you got and you're talking about you're talking about a, a foot traffic zone. There's usually a lot of people there. Yeah. Well, there was a photo in the New York Times today of Times Square uh, yesterday, empty. It really did look like a zombie movie. I mean, not like every, I don't want to go to Times Square, you know, but it's a pretty iconic place uh, in people's imagination. And a big part of what people associate it with is just being jam packed with people. There was nobody out there, not even like one person wearing an Elmo suit wandering around, you know, trying to make money. It was just dead, complete dead zone. Yeah. I think, I think, I think the, I think that experience of phenomenon is going to be much more impressive in the United States and San Francisco. I've seen pictures of the Bay Bridge with like one car on it driving across. It's a sick picture actually. But, um, you, I mean that, that never happens. Right. And those are huge cities. This is, this is a small, this is a small city anyway. It's not like mine. It's not breathtaking to like see one of the squares here empty, but, um, but also, I do feel like the response has been much more aggressive and like extreme out there. That's the feeling I'm getting. And it's weird. In the U.S., you mean? In the U.S., especially in the major cities. And it's weird to me because we have way more cases in a smaller population and area. And, um, and we're surrounded by all these countries that have already locked down. Also, like collectively, like Europe has is like the it's the hotbed. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually kind of baffled that we haven't locked down like a week or more ago 
you know like it's so you it, think i mean based on what you you're hearing about what's going on in the u.s it sounds like the u.s being more proactive than absolutely i mean in that way yes in that way i mean i think that there are a lot of cases that we just aren't aware of in the United States here too, but I think probably there are more in the United States because there are issues of people uh, being able to afford testing or afford to go to the doctor or whatever. Um, and it's just a really, it's a huge place. And, you know, I mean, I, but, but I mean the reaction of San Francisco to just like right away with like a relatively low number of confirmed cases, like make the move they did seemed like much more, yeah, proactive, definitely. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's similar to what you were saying earlier. And I think in, in some ways this is a different conversation, but there was a perception, I think, of a lack of leadership on the federal level. Like the president was downplaying it uh, and not instituting any policies right away, seem much more concerned with the economy and the stock market than with a potential public health crisis. So I think a lot of, uh, municipalities, uh, you know, places like San Francisco, places like New York city, where there had been, uh, documented cases thought, well, then it's, it's up to us to take the lead on this, you know, um, and institute those policies. Cause everything that I've heard has been coming either from the governor of New York or from the mayor of New York. And again, that's partly just because of the political structure of the United States. We're a republic. You know, these are all independent governments that can make their own policies. But in, in a lot of ways, it was a response to um, kind of a lack of a, of a response at the federal level, for yeah. better or for worse, I guess. You know? Yeah, yeah, right, right, for better or for worse. Well, yeah. it's for worse for the other cities that haven't taken action like that, but it's, you know, for better. Yeah. For, um, yeah. Have, have you... Uh, have you, have you encountered or seen anyone in public who you suspected to have the virus? Have you? <laughs> you know what I, mean? I don't know how, how would I suspect somebody? Like I, first of all, like I, I have like the opposite problem, which is like, I just, I don't have any like anxiety about this. <laughs> I mean, I probably should, but I'm just like kind of walking around in the world. Like, ah, uh, do you know what I mean? I'm just not that concerned about it. I'm very interested in it. I know it's important. I'm taking precautions. I'm not saying it's a hoax or anything, but like, I'm not prone to the same kind of like, maybe like mental health response that a lot of people are, which is just like, like everywhere they go being paranoid or whatever. So it's not like, uh, I mean, I've been in a lot of play. I think I've been out a lot more than other people in New York because my job is still functioning right like we have clients who are incarcerated and there's like a lot of work to do to either like get people out of jail who are vulnerable because they have pre-existing health conditions or there's just like so much going on with people who are incarcerated that my job has been even though they're encouraging us to work remotely and most people are um there's a lot of work to do right so let's say like you know earlier this week i went to rikers i feel like you know there were not that many people at Rikers because people <laughs> like if people are staying indoors, they're definitely not going to a jail. You know what I mean? Um, but I did not get the sense. I, there's just no way to, uh, it would be unfair to encounter someone in public and make an assumption about their health. You know what I mean? Like what, it would just be profiling of one kind or another. It's like, Oh, this person has a mask on, therefore they're sick. Or this person, you know, it's like the president has been like very pretty, like transparently racist about this, like calling it like the, the Chinese disease and the Chinese virus. Like what other, what other assumptions could I make? Well, if somebody coughs, I don't know. If somebody coughs or sneezes, I'm not going to assume that they uh, have the virus. That's just not really how I operate. I'm not judging. I'm not judging people who, 
don't feel great about people coughing because I totally understand that, but I just don't, I, I'm not thinking about it that way. So my, my answer is a no. Are you saying that you have? That I'm going to validate what you say and then challenge it. I mean, please, please <laughs> I, go ahead. Because I did have an experience where I went to, I'm, de- I'm definitely not afraid of it. You know, I'm going out and doing my normal life until like the law requires me not to. And then I'll still try to do it without getting into too much trouble. But, um, but I went to the gym, I think it was like last Friday after work and it's usually packed right and my roommate was like oh you shouldn't be doing that for too much longer that's going to be one of the places you know you, you have an easy time catching it you know yeah, you like, gotta wipe those machines down yeah. man <laughs> yeah, yeah i gotta wipe it disinfect them good so i i got there and that's what everyone was doing who was there they were disinfecting them good but there were very few people and i was like bro this is one of the safest places there's nobody here i was like if everybody's stuck at home of course I can go out freely. Like it's just, it's like airports and airplanes, they're empty. Like it's normally that would be a dangerous place because it's packed. But for the fact that everyone's staying away from it, it's like a nice little catch 22. Um, but I will say <laughs> I was in the supermarket the other day. Um, and there was this little fucking lady by the tomatoes just, and she was coughing hard, bro. She wasn't just, she had a cough that was like just tearing out from like deep in her lungs and I, could, I couldn't ignore it bro I, I, didn't, I, I get it but I noticed it and I was like I was like I just started walking the other direction and then in my head I was like fuck where else has she been in this store and I felt <laughs> so helpless at that point yeah like, there's no there's no um there's no, so I definitely had a moment. Yeah, yeah. That's my. That's answer. a that is a completely reasonable response. I'm not. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm tight because I'm not afraid of anything. Like, if anything, it's like I'm probably at a disadvantage because I'm not thinking about this stuff maybe as much as I should be when I'm out in public. Um, and yeah, it is. I think that's what's so unique about this is there's no way to know. And then once you start thinking about it, right. you know, it's like it becomes a spiral where it's like, right. well, I don't know. I touched this. I touched that. And now I touched this. And was the last time I washed my hands and that person was coughing and then they touched the shopping cart right. and then exactly. I'm taking a different shopping cart. Like that's I, I understand that. I, I know why people feel that way. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to buy cheese. I was going to buy tomatoes. She bought yeah. tomatoes. Maybe she bought cheese, too. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> tomatoes are off the list, man. No, no tomatoes today. The tomatoes, the tomatoes were cut, dude. That's yeah. how I guess I just feel like, why aren't you supposed to be washing your produce anyway? I mean, not that I do that, but now would be a good time to start that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, def, def, definitely got to be washing things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've always been kind of anti hand sanitizer for, you know, prior to this, just because, um, you know, my mom is a nurse and she told me a long time ago, she's like, yeah, like you should wash your hands regularly. But like if you're using hand sanitizer or antibacterial soap all the time, this is before the virus. I'm not giving bad advice to people on the radio she said it actually in the long term it weakens your immune system right because you don't have low level exposure to different germs that are out there right not this germ because this germ is different um so in my mind i had kind of a psychological block against hand sanitizer and now i'm like all right it's time to let go of that (laughs) you got to be you know you got to step it up you got to try new things so you know yeah sure i'm a a purell guy now i wash my hands more than i ever have before i'm not ashamed of it i think that's probably the right thing to do the end justifies the means it's all good well i also i went um i have a a friend at work and her husband i helped to take care of their dog because they're older and they got like a new dog who's like really big and has a lot of energy and so i go running with them you know 
Um, and, you know, older people are more vulnerable anyway. That's all we've been hearing. Most of the deaths are people who are older. and That's the, one of the populations that we want to try to protect. And they're both in their 70s. They're in good health, but still. So I went over to their house to walk the dog and I, you know, was like trying to be extra careful. I was like, oh, I don't want to expose them or anything. And then as soon as I walked in, her husband just like put his hand out to shake my hand. Like right away, he's like, ah, fuck that shit. Give me a handshake. I was like, it's also like, first of all, I gave him the handshake, you know, because I was like, well, I don't want to be rude, even if it causes your death. But I also just thought it was like a pretty unique response and what a position to be in. What do you do when you encounter somebody who's like, ah, I don't care about this, you know, put her there, pal, you know? Uh, Cause then I would have to be, you know, one of those guys that's holding, Oh no, give me an elbow or tap your foot. You know, he's putting you on the spot. He's he, like, are you a little bitch? He, or did. What? he yeah. did basically he yeah. did. It was really yeah. a, about uh, masculinity at that point. <laughs> it was that, yeah. But you passed, so that's the good. I passed, thing. and then also secretly in my mind, I was like, "Ooh, what a badass!" You know, because I was like, "He's yeah. a guy in his seventies." He was putting his brass balls on the table. And <laughs> it's kind of yeah. yeah. It's kind of like you know, it's like you see some drunk guys playing Russian roulette. Like, what's your response going to be? You'd be like, "Wow, those guys are badass." It's like, yeah, sure, one of them's going to die, but what a way to go! So that was you know. Now I'm equating a handshake with you know Russian roulette, but at this point. You know, it's not that far off. Uh, all of that is to say, yeah, I mean, I'm taking more precautions, obviously, than I ever have. I'm taking this thing seriously. I just wanted to put the caveat that I'm not in the world all the time thinking about it in a, in a way that maybe I should be and in a way I think that most people are. So for what it, for what it's worth, I'm not I'm not looking at the old lady in the grocery store like, ooh, she got it. <laughs> she got it. <laughs> I do, dude, and she does have it too. They should, that yeah. bitch go get checked. I wanted to drop kick her right there. <laughs> I was pissed. Do do your part for public health by taking out an old lady. Yeah, dude, for sure. Yeah. So I did notice though at in, in my office because we were still working there last week, and we have this like policy for a skeleton crew where like small groups of people are coming again because we have clients who like need are in crisis and need help. So we'll have we'll like have four or five people in the office. So I was there, and the woman who sits a little bit away from me um, sneezed right, and usually in an office environment like or any social environment, somebody sneezes, you know, it's like, hey, you're an asshole if you don't say bless you. You know, somebody sneezes, it's like, oh, bless you, oh, gesundheit. That's just, that's part of what we do as human beings. But even though there were a bunch of people around, she sneezed and like, nobody said anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, because if you say bless you, you're acknowledging that there's something going on. You know what I mean? So that's really, I'll, I'll try to help her save face. I didn't want her to become, you know, a suspect. I don't think that's even one of the symptoms though, sneezing. I think it's a throat thing. Uh, yeah, of course it's not. But I just mean like everybody. Well, from what I understand, it's like, yeah, dry coughing or whatever. Right. But uh, and none of this is rational. Right. Like, right. I guess. No, no, right. But it's still associated with poor health. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just yeah. anything like that. It's just like, yeah. oh, I, yeah. you know, like, let's just pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, right. No, let's pretend. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we don't know that people are sometimes unhealthy. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I want to I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on with people in New York City, specifically the incarcerated population, because I think that's a very interesting story. But before we transition to that, I do want to ask you, I know that you have a lot of family in Italy. I know that Italy isn't that far from where you are. So have you spoken to family there? Are you thinking about it? Like, what are your thoughts? Because most of us are thinking, you know, I think today they released a number that more people in Italy uh 
was it wait now i'm giving bad information on the radio they surpassed the number uh, an initial chinese number it wasn't for debts it was for email help me out here you're the producer facts let's get them uh i can check i i know they surpassed the number i think it was deaths okay yeah it's either deaths or confirmed cases probably deaths because there's so many fucking old people you know <laughs> real nice Silvano. and i mean it's, it's, that, that country's all old so you know and old people are obviously a very prime death to be had for the coronavirus yeah it um, was how people died i'm afraid yeah. I, 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 I oh good i'm glad we checked italy surpasses china in number of coronavirus deaths that's as of 21 minutes ago it makes sense uh, because there's so many old people i mean i don't know this is just me like you know you know, this well, is like, there are a lot of, I think maybe yeah. other people would say, you know, China has the capacity to build six new hospitals in a day, whereas <laughs> part of the crisis in Italy is that there just weren't enough hospital beds and there and weren't enough. They replace a light bulb. They're like, a, you know. Wow. Takes- wow. wow. Italy shaming. What, what are you saying? Oh, I can say that because I'm Italian? Is that what I, you're going to say? <laughs> they can't even change a light bulb in a week. Like, if they, like if a street lamp needs to be changed, it takes them forever. China built a hospital in like five days you know yeah yeah that was pretty impressive actually italians can't even like they can't even comprehend something like that that's not that's not how they work you know yeah Uh, so i'm just saying that's another aspect of it it might not just be that it's old people although i'm sure there are plenty of public health professionals who would give us a fuller picture but question remains are you talking to your family there are you worried about them how are they doing what's going on first all right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of course I'm talking to my family. Sure. You know, I think that's a healthy thing to do. Um, and they are really locked down, man. Um, so where is your family in Italy geographically and how does that relate to the outbreaks in the North? They're mostly in Naples and there's an uncle in uh, Sardinia and, um, yeah, it's mostly, it. I got another uncle in Ferrara. I haven't, I haven't actually spoken to him. I should, I should check in with him. But he's probably okay. Um, I mean, they've been locked down for a long time. My grandmother hasn't left the house uh, for weeks now. You know, she has her groceries delivered and stuff. But, you know, she's old. She's like 80, I believe, something like that. And my grandfather is 92. So she gets it. He gets it. And it's like guaranteed he wouldn't survive it, like 100%. So, you know, she was definitely from an earlier point being very careful plus that's how my grandmother is she's like she'll freak out about something like that Um, which is for the best um especially in a situation like this my uncle who i spoke to most recently uh last night actually in sardinia he said um well he lives sardinia is an island and he lives on a little island off of the island you know so Sounds you have, like a good place to be right now. Yeah, they have no cases on this little island. It's only 12,000 people live in that city. Um, but you have to get there by ferry. And so far, there have been very few in Sardinia itself, the, the bigger island. And his island has zero cases, but they're still locked in. Uh, he hadn't left the house for several days. You know, I think like four days or something. Said he was doing a lot of reading, listening to music. But he's like, I got to get out. I'm going out to walk tomorrow. But, uh, the you know, the, the, the last time he had been out and about, he came in on the ferry. He was like, there was nobody there. It was totally dead. And like the minute the ferry pulled in, the police drove on and controlled me. They're controlling every ferry. They're controlling every person. They put him through a big line of questioning. You know, he had to show paperwork to show that he lived there and to like corroborate his story. Um, 
you know, they're they're controlling things pretty tightly down there. You know, they're they're worried and they should be. Yeah. An island off of an island sounds like a best possible best case scenario, I think, for people right now. In fact, I, I saw yesterday that Cristiano Ronaldo uh, bought a private island and that's where he's going with his family. Anybody else heard this? Sure. That's a that's a reasonable thing to do. Yeah, oh, you're right. It's a, it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty optimal place to be, um, yeah. except for the fact that it's in Italy. So, like you're an you're an, you know, he's on yeah. an island for the one sense of the term. You know, you can't go out into the rest of the country like it is, you're going to be walking into like the hot lava. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like he's uh, a, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo. This is from the Sun. Self quarantines at a villa with a rooftop pool and ocean view. Uh, as his teammates contract coronavirus. Jesus. That's not quarantine, bro. Fuck off. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. That's a vacation. vacation. Yeah, yeah, dude. Off, bro. That's uh, a... Yeah, and I guess people found out because his girlfriend was uh, posting stuff on Instagram from the rooftop pool. <laughs> yeah, sure. they went there on Monday, Monday morning you know, in a private it's island. Instagram. Yeah. It's a... Hey, you know, um, you know what I heard? Uh, that? was that some kids down here in Bavaria were having uh, Corona parties, coronavirus parties, Corona parties, I don't know what they're called, where like yeah. these youngsters are getting together to contract the virus. Ooh. And, um, Spicy. And get it out of the way. You know, <laughs> wow. cops, like, we're breaking these parties up. I, I don't even know. I don't even know how the cops like caught wood with these parties. But yeah, isn't that a trip? These man? crazy teens, man. What will they think of next? <laughs> That's I was wild, like, dude. I wasn't surprised, man. But I was like, wow, really? Like, just get it, yeah. just get it out. I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't surprised. I mean, it's kind of like a very yeah, primitive but, but, version of a vaccine. You know what I mean? Like a, a, an extremely primitive. Right. Well, that's the possibly yeah. deadly version of a vaccine. It's like it's like it's like what your parents do with chicken pox. It's like, oh, Jimmy has chicken pox. Can we arrange a play date for Jessica? Yeah. You know, and yeah. they like get you together so you get infected and then it's out of the way. Like I get the logic behind it. It's like really basic and not well thought out. But it's I mean, it, it illustrates an important point of like the whole situation conversation. If I got Corona, I'm pretty confident I would live. If you got it, I'm pretty confident you would live. But it's like it's a it's a matter of social responsibility. Yeah. Because when you go home and you bring it to like your grandpa or little brother or I, I don't know what, like sick cousin, yeah. you know, then it's 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 not so good. And it's not just about like vaccinating yourself. It's about like not killing other people. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the reason that I've been more careful maybe than my instincts would lead me to be is because it's, it would be pretty selfish of me to just be like, ah, I'm not driven. You know, I've had the flu, like, or whatever kind of ignorant justification I might have for surviving an illness. Uh, It's that I can just be a link in the chain, which is, you know, pretty selfish. Um, that said, right. I'm still not refusing handshakes from 80 year old men. <laughs> Just, I, I was put on the spot, man. I, I had a lot going on. Handshakes and hugs, dude, they're all allowed as long as the person insists on it. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to offer up. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to offer to kill them. You know, <laughs> but if they take yeah, it from one. me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that's, that's a fair policy. Yeah. Um, so let me tell you yeah. a little bit about what's going on with um, people who are incarcerated in, face? in New York I can't City. Okay, no, no. Oh, is there something going on with my face? <laughs> no, you're 
You're good. No, your face is back now. It's good, man. Oh, okay. Tell me about the incarcerated. I thought, I thought you said there was something wrong with my face, and then my my vanity got really nervous. <laughs> I had to go check it out. Oh, I did. I said that. No, I said okay. that your vanity was All right. right. Your senses were right. on point. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, obviously, you know, I work in the public defender's office in New York City. A lot of our clients are incarcerated. Uh, and a big part of our job is making sure that people who are incarcerated get their needs met, whether it's medical, mental health. I mean, we don't provide it, but we act as advocates for people who are incarcerated with what's called the correctional health system, CHS, the people who are responsible for uh, administering health care and mental health care to people in New York City jails. Uh, the number one jail everyone's heard of, obviously, is Rikers. Um, so, you know, you don't have the same kind of options for social distancing, obviously, for people who are in jail, right? Like people are just constantly on top of each other. You can't take the same precautions. Um, and there are a lot of vulnerable populations in there. So understanding that, I think the court system and even people in the district attorney's office are willing to entertain the idea that people who are vulnerable, either older people or people who have respiratory ailments or diabetes or a, a number of other um, underlying uh, health concerns could potentially get released, right? So that they would be in the community and less vulnerable. Um, but of course, it's a bureaucratic nightmare because there are all these different agencies involved and people who are, you know, also a lot of skeptical people. I think some judges are skeptical and some some district attorneys are like, oh, yeah, now all of a sudden everybody has asthma, you know, uh, like say as if to say, like people are fabricating medical conditions in order to get out of jail. Right. So that's one obstacle. Um, but something that happened very recently is uh, the person who's in charge of that system, the correctional health system, uh, his name is Ross McDonald. He released some tweets yesterday talking about social responsibility for people who are incarcerated, right? Like at, at times of crisis, people, I mean, people often rise to the occasion, but it's also an opportunity for us to like, think about ourselves, right? Like, how am I vulnerable? How am I going to take care of myself and my family and other groups of people become secondary, and the group of people that's always the easiest to disregard or forget about is, you know, people who are incarcerated, right? Because there is all kinds of stigma attached to that, although they are a population now that's at an elevated risk. So the head of the correctional health system, he's re responsible for all the healthcare at Rikers and other uh, New York City jails, um, said the words that a storm, quote, a storm is coming uh, as coronavirus will inevitably spread through the city's jail complex unless precautions are taken, Right. Um, so I'll read some of his tweets because there's a lot of like pretty powerful language in here. Um, if you just bear with me. So he introduced himself, uh, he introduced the series of tweets as a message from the chief physician of Rikers Island for the judges and prosecutors of New York. So he's directly addressing judges and prosecutors. We who care for those you detain noticed how swiftly you closed your doors in response to COVID-19. Uh, this was fundamentally an act of social distancing, a sound strategy in public health. So basically the courts are closed, right? Like, and corrections isn't transporting anybody to courts. And they're saying that's an aspect of social distancing, right? If you're moving people from jail to the courts, uh, it increases opportunities for people to get sick. Uh, but there's also um, a lot of assumptions made about people who are incarcerated as if like, oh, they're whatever they're more likely to be sick. It's the kind of thing we were talking about earlier for profiling where, you know, it's like the assumption is, oh, if you're an incarcerated person, like you're more likely to get me sick. Ignoring, of course, that 
attorneys, court officers, all kinds of other people in the court building are just as likely to be carrying uh, the virus. They kind of distance themselves from incarcerated people. So he's acknowledging that and saying this was fundamentally an act of social distancing, a sound strategy in public health. But the luxury that allows you to protect yourselves carries with it an obligation to those you detain, right? So if you think those people are more vulnerable to be sick, then you got to do something to take care of them. And, and he said that inmates must not be left in harm's way. And he went on to say, to be clear, the public servants who care for those in your jails have been planning for this storm for weeks and months. We will muster every tool of public health, science, and medicine to try to keep our patients safe. We will apply every novel treatment and scarce test. We will put ourselves at personal risk and ask little in return, but we cannot change the fundamental nature of jail. We cannot socially distance dozens of elderly men living in a dorm, sharing a bathroom. Think of a cruise ship recklessly boarding more passengers each day, which is a pretty powerful comparison, obviously, because everybody's just thinking of cruise ships now as like these cesspools for disease, which, you know, I guess we should have always known that they were cesspools for disease. But now that there's a global outbreak, there's more of a concern. Um, and he finished by saying, a storm is coming and I know what I'll be doing when it claims my first patient. What will you be doing? What will you have done? We've told you who is at risk. Please let as many out as you possibly can. Um, and then he said, in the next 48 hours, we will identify any inmates who need to be brought out because of either their own health conditions, if they have any pre-existing conditions, or because the charges were minor and we think it's appropriate to bring them out in this context. So it's, I know that was very long-winded. I thank you guys for bearing with me, but that's a pretty big deal. You know, this is a person who works in the jails. We could very easily make an assumption that somebody who's working in a system like that would be subject to the same kind of assumptions uh, as other people, but he's not, he's saying something that's pretty bold actually, uh, which is we need to let people out and let them in the community. Cause first of all, there isn't much of a reason that most of those people should be there anyway, if they're there for low level crimes or if they're held on bail. Um, but now he's coming out even more aggressively. And it occurs to me, although, um, mass incarceration is in a lot of ways, like a uniquely American problem, Obviously, countries throughout the world have a similar issue with their prison population. Um, and New York City is a progressive place. So he might be meted, met with a more welcome audience. But I do wonder about places that have different politics um, and how they would respond to something like that. And also, I was curious if you've heard about anything like that where you are, Silvano, um, about the treatment of people who are incarcerated. Granted, you know, there's a much smaller population there. Or just your thoughts on this? Um, I mean, the most I've heard, which had nothing to do with the virus about incarceration here, is that uh, German incarceration is basically like a hotel room. Meaning the condition and quality of the jails in Germany compared to American jails are much better. You know, you've got television, you know, you're, yeah, yeah, it's like, I heard it described as a hotel room that you can't leave. You know, it's like it's like chilling out in a hotel room, but you can't leave. <laughs> you know? um, which is like, well, you know, I've I've been to like vacations at casinos in Reno where it felt like that. You know, well, what if you were in a hotel and, uh, room that you couldn't leave and there was a virus going around? You know what I mean? It doesn't really matter how nice the conditions are if you're forced to live in close um, proximity with people who may or may not be sick. 
Well, that's the thing is in the United States, it's not a hotel room. You can't leave. I mean, in the end, quarantine over here is going to be the same thing. Maybe, I mean, a hotel room is usually nicer than my bedroom, mm-hmm. actually. So it might even be better. But um, but in the States, there's a drastic difference between the quality of uh, of how you're living in a, in a prison and, and in your own room. I mean, also, I I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know much about the prison conditions here, but um, they, fortunately, you know, because if I did, it would be firsthand. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that's why I asked. I thought you I, might have some uh, specific insight, you know. Well, I know about I know about dealing with the police, and they're a lot friendlier. I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, like to put it simply, um, they're a lot friendlier and they're a lot easier to deal with. Let's say. Um, but no, what you said, what it actually made me think of something, you know, like extreme times like this call, uh, call for, um, drastic measures. And that's essentially what he's, this guy is calling for when I hear it. I mean, I, I hear the logic, I hear the reasoning, but it is a very drastic measure, you know, and, um, uh, and it's necessary. You can hear the pressure and the reasons for it. It's a, it, it sounds like a necessary drastic measure in Italy. I read, um, that they're, that they've got uh, doctors, students who they're just uh, graduating because they need more hands. They need more doctors. Oh yeah, like very early from com- yeah. com- you know com- from completing their studies. They're like we fucking doctors. Like you're a doctor. You know, <laughs> like, they're gonna learn a lot more managing it, this crisis know? and profession. And it makes sense. But it's cool. <laughs> the what I did want to say is. Um, something that I was reminded of when I was reading this guy's um, statement about the incarcerated population is I remember early on before we were taking any measures in the United States, I read that the Iranian government because Iran obviously was one of the first countries to have a lot of cases. um, Temporary, temporarily released 85,000 prisoners um, in an effort to stop the spread of the virus, which you know, I think at the time people were like, oh, what a sign of, you know, it's it's the sign of the apocalypse, right? They're just like opening prison doors and now, you know, it's like society is breaking down. But it sounds like their motivations were similar to the motivations of this um, head of the Correctional Health Service um, in New York City. They said that the conditions inside uh, the jails in Iran deteriorated and there were a large number of deaths from the virus. And in order to save people's lives, they let them go. 85,000 is a lot of people. I mean, Iran's a big country, but still, that's a big amount of people. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll keep everybody updated. Obviously, my office is still open. This guy just released this statement, so he's going to be handing those names over uh, to the appropriate authorities and advocating for people to be released. I think it's, um, like all of this, an ongoing story, but I thought particularly because, you know, we at Queston and at Margin Call cover issues that affect incarcerated people. It's in our DNA from the work that we did at the Beat Within and Civic News Service. Um, I just think it's a good angle uh, for us to keep an eye on. So um, so uh, we were hoping to have Shirley on to talk to us about Mexico uh, and what's going on in Mexico. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to join us, but we'll have her on in a future show. Maybe she'll call eventually and we can record and patch it through. But I, I think this was good. I think it was important to hear about what's going on in other parts of the world. Uh, the United States has a tendency to silo itself, you know, uh, and I think part of what we'd like to do here at Margin Call is open up that conversation a little bit. So, Silvano, thanks for coming on and breaking things down from your perspective. And hopefully we can have you back on the show soon when things are um, looking up a little bit.
Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, they don't have. I mean, quarantine is a great time to do a podcast on the internet, dude. <laughs> Absolutely, we do a show every day. Yeah, doesn't have right? to be too right. Up. Right, yeah. Eman, easy as that. Show every day. You ready for that? No, Eman is shaking her head. <laughs> we'll figure. Really do two a week? No. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, so you yes. know I'm gonna say no to that. I know. I just wanted to tease you a little bit. It's part of my role here. Yes, yes. Uh, okay, so thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, this conversation obviously is ongoing. Thanks to you, Silvano, for making time. I know it's past midnight out there. Um, Thank you for having me. I appreciate you hanging in. Uh, Eming, thanks for making it happen. Thanks, as always, for keeping us sounding good. Even when my internet connection was a little bit spotty, I promise it wasn't personal. Uh, And uh, thanks again to our listeners. Uh, Stay tuned because we will uh, have more episodes on this obviously crucial ongoing story. All right. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.